Hi, I'm Suzanne Lynn from Z88.3 Afternoons with Suzanne and Shadow, wishing you a very Merry Christmas and asking you to join my friends Mike, Fritz and Trish on WGSR, bringing hope, comfort and encouragement to the world 24 hours a day. Hi there. We here at God Stories Radio are reaching out to you and your business to sponsor us for as little as $10 a month. We need you so that we can continue bringing hope, comfort, and encouragement through the power of the Christian testimony. By your business blessing us monthly, we are able to bless others weekly. To sponsor us, email GodStoriesRadio at gmail.com. And you don't have to be a business to be a blessing. Visit GodStoriesRadio.com to donate securely through PayPal. Just press the button. You're listening to the God Stories Radio Podcast with Mike, Fritz, Trish, and Tina. Listen to us live on the Mixler app. Also, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio and you will never miss an episode. And welcome everybody to God Stories Radio. This is session 144. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. What's going on, guys? Things. (laughs) You got a lot to talk about over there. I'm telling you what. Oh, man. You scared me. I scared myself. That's for sure. <laughs> got to quit scurring people, man. <laughs> we a little, got a, a little fidgety right now too. But. Got a got a text the other day that Mikey was in the emergency room. Was that the was that the day after the podcast? Yes. Well, no, I made it. It happened on Friday. It happened on Friday, but uh, I waited for uh, Junior because he works at the hospital in the OR. He's a nurse in the OR, so I waited for him to get up to a certain extent, and then he met me at the emergency room and. Um, as soon as I told him I had uh, wicked pain and uh, pressure in my chest, um, I was taken right in without hesitation. I know uh, Randy was up there with you. Randy and, and uh, Pete showed up and Gary, Gary Scott, he showed up. Ah, Mr. Richie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> they had me admitted to the critical decision unit by 9 o'clock. And they did a bunch of testing, EKGs, cat, uh, CAT scans, and vials and vials of blood, two stress tests, and come back uh, 5.30 at night and say, I got good news and bad news. You're pretty darn healthy. But the bad news, we don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> I know what's wrong with you. <laughs> when I figured it out, I think I, I thought I had torn a muscle. At first, when it happened initially, I thought I was having a, uh, well, I thought I had maybe a clogged artery or uh, an aneurysm. But wow. It turns out that I have a um, intercostal muscle inflammation. An intercostal? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Pentecostal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh, but I'm here. I'm a little uh, fidgety, but I'm here. Well, we're glad you're here, buddy. It's good to see you. How you doing over there, hon? I'm doing great. Yeah, we got some shout outs tonight or? Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, we've got some Facebook likes. Uh, Ray Flannery. Oh, Ray. Big Ray. Ray. Thank you, Ray. Tim Parker. Tim Parker. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. And Brenda Parker. Thank you, Brenda. Appreciate that. Liking us on Facebook. Thank you so much. And then we have some new regions listening. All right. uh, South Africa. South Africa. Very exciting. And uh, Valsia, Romania. Wow, uh, that's, that's a new one. Well, it's breaking down Romania from a certain section, I guess. 
Okay, so Romania is not new, just no. a different right. It's just part a different region. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, welcome our new friends from Romania. And Wirral UK. UK. Yeah. UK is okay. Wirral. You, you got to pronounce it right. There's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, really. I'm from the UK. Well, yes, it doesn't mean I know everything about the UK. Though. <laughs> you don't know everything. I I do know everything. Oh, well, that's <laughs> just what I. Kidding. That's what I thought when just I just kidding signed the paper. But anyway, <laughs> thank you out there in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for liking us. That really, really encourages us. And let us know if we're encouraging you. You know, yeah, drop us a nice. line. Godstoriesradio at gmail dot com. We would greatly appreciate hearing from you, and we would like to solicit your testimony, and we'll take it any way we can get it. Um, if you can't come and, and talk with us live like our guest is tonight, you know, uh, you know, drop us a line, GodStoriesRadio at Gmail, write it in, we'll read it. We We're can. not afraid to read it. We love that. We can have you on Skype. You can call in. Um, we'll take you any way we can get you. Just get it to us. Just get it to us. That's right. Thank you. Well, thank you for liking us on Facebook and yes. all the likes and all the prayers. And All right. And anybody that's listening to us on iHeart, please follow us on iHeart. iHeart Radio. And we are now on Spotify. So if you have Spotify, if you prefer that over iHeart Radio, then you can get God Stories Radio on Spotify. And um, I was very pleasantly surprised when I first looked on there. Our entire library is on there. Yeah. So it, it uploaded all of them. And, and they can also listen to us 24 hours a day, right? On WGSR, Mikey, 24 hours a day. Is it? Or I thought it was Freedom Network. Freedom Radio. Thank you, Mikey. Keep me straight. <laughs> Freedom Networks. Freedom Radio Networks. FreedomRadioNetworks.com. We have a lot of foreign friends that that uh, like us on there. Yeah. I mean, I can't pronounce their names, but I appreciate them. <laughs> Just the same. We want to welcome everybody listening live tonight on Mixler. I see three of you up there. Uh, I saw Tracy McElroy was on. Hey, Tracy. Um, I can't see uh, your names, unfortunately, um, but welcome. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen. We want to welcome everybody on YouTube tonight. If you want to see our faces for radio, you can <laughs> log on to YouTube and and uh, watch us live. So, all righty then. Um, Mikey, who we got? We have... A gentleman that um, uh, probably a month or two ago um, gave, I guess, a, a testimony to a certain extent to uh, Real Men or the men's group in the attic. And um, as he was telling his testimony, some of it uh, kind of like went, it, it, I liked it. And it, it, basically similarities there, you know, the two by four upside the head and losing everything, you know, from living high to everything gone um so seems to be a common thing with us guys doesn't yeah, it yeah really <laughs> i just i just uh, would say right now you don't want the two by four upside the head just do it on your own trust Amen me that trust me but we have uh joel caldwell um he is uh, he he does uh, some work at the uh at real life with the the um Counseling, counseling, that's right. Counseling department and all. And um, 
He has a, a, a pretty big background in that area, so I give you Joel Caldwell. Hey, Joel, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's so exciting to be here tonight. I'm telling you, this was, uh didn't know what to expect coming here, but I just felt, you know, when Mike uh, invited me to come, um, I just immediately felt God kind of pushing me to, to do this. I didn't have any hesitation whatsoever, and I've uh, been looking forward to it ever since he asked, and um, it's... Uh, this is something you know that I'm talking about tonight. Um, it's it's it certainly is my testimony, and it, and it never is um, easy to talk about. Um, but uh, I think it's something that um, I've learned over time that's important important to share, not just for me, but it's important for all of us to be able to, to communicate how God has been working in our lives, uh, whether it's something a long time ago or something more recently. And um, so I guess um, I kind of, I guess I'll just get right into it. Uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, so I, um, <clears throat> I'm originally from South Florida and I, I, I grew up certainly in uh, what most people would consider a church family. I grew up kind of, kind of indoctrinated in the church. I mean, when I was going to church, uh, you know, three times a week throughout my life, my father was an elder in the church um, all growing up and, and, and continues to be, he's been his whole life. And um, it went uh, after graduated high school, went to a Christian college up in Tennessee. Um, and, uh, it was one of those places, you know, where you have, uh, it was pretty strict, you know, the, the curfews and the, the daily Bible and the daily chapel and the whole, you know, the whole thing. And, um, ended up after that coming back to Florida and going to graduate school, um, where I earned my, um, doctoral degree in clinical psychology. Um, one of the best parts of, of my early life was on my uh, third day of graduate school, I, um, I was able to meet who uh, eventually became my wife. And um, she was kind of sitting in the seat next to me. And um, she has been uh, this is probably the single biggest influence on my life, uh, which you'll find out a, a little bit more about in, in just a few minutes. But um, she is... Uh, my wife is originally um, from New York, and uh, with a lot of arm twisting, she uh, she's, she she said that uh, she wanted to go back back up north and and kind of start our life up there uh, back in the area that she was from. And so, um, I uh, we both went up there, you know, armed with our degrees, armed with our education, and ready to embark on our married life and start our careers. And um, so, so I'm kind of at this point in my life where ready to jump off into my career and and uh, do some, you know, try to make a difference in the world. But um, as I look back on it, um, my mind and, and, and everything was not where it needed to be at that point. And I, and I think there's a couple of things that that are that are important to know about uh, about me at that point. I remember um, when I was growing up in South Florida, and I would um, would ride around town 
and we lived in a community surrounded by water, like almost everywhere in Florida. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a big river that kind of ran right through our town. And there were these giant like mansions and houses that were kind of down there. And I remember as a kid um, when I was able to drive and even before that, my family and we would kind of drive down sometimes just randomly. And you can kind of look and, and see these houses and the, all these fancy cars parked out front and everything. And I just remember even thinking to myself, I, I, gosh, I couldn't have been eight, 10 years old thinking that, you know, one day, you know, that's, uh-huh. that's what I want. We all do that. Right. It's, uh, and, um, and so at, at, at a very early age, you don't think about it like this at that time, but at a very early age, I think that can't kind of came part of my heart and, mm-hmm. and kind of carried me through with so much motivation in my life. And, and also, and I kind of mentioned how I had gone to this, this Christian college, I'd grown up in the church and, and I think there was some point in college, probably toward the end where I went through um, what I what I call a uh, spiritual graduation, um, where it, I got to that point where it's, I kind of know what's in the Bible. You know, it's, it's it, it almost treated the Bible like a textbook. It's like, I got it. I, I, you know, and I got to this point where it's like, I don't need to continue to delve into this uh-huh. because I've just been so steeped in it. And I don't think there's anything anybody could tell me that I don't really know about at that point. And so, um, even going into adulthood, although I was continuing to attend church and even be involved in the church, uh, you know, teaching Sunday school and that type of thing, I, I was not somebody who was engaging in a lot of prayer or even going into the word. Um, it was just kind of going through the motions mm-hmm. of what I had been doing, you know, most of my life. And, and so, um, I'm starting off, uh, my career and, without really thinking about it and without having any intention about it whatsoever, um, I, my career um, became defined by chasing money. And, um, you know, in my mind, it was always about, you know, I'm getting the promotion or I'm furthering my career. But what I didn't realize was actually happening was I had, I had greed in my heart. And it was completely consuming me, mm-hmm. but it was also disguised by the fact that I was I was going to church and I knew the word and all of that. And so I never even stopped to consider what my true motivations were, what I was actually chasing. Mm-hmm. And so as I as I start off, and I'm going to take you uh, kind of briefly through my early career, um, I started off um, working. Um, in the New York State mental health system, and started off kind of working on um, one uh, state psychiatric center. I had one of the um, wards there, and I was like the ward psychologist. They call them wards; it sounds so old, but mm-hmm. but um, I was I was the psychologist there, and so um, and I, ha- I was had I had supervisors and all of that. And, and after only being there for a year, um, there was an opening that came up in our department to to kind of lead our the psychology department and for the whole facility. Mm-hmm. And the administration of the facility approached me and said, "Would you be interested in this?" And without really really even thinking about it, mm-hmm. I was kind of I was kind of surprised. I mean, at that time, I was probably you know twenty five years old. Wow. And and I said, "Well, sure." I jumped at it because. The first thing I thought about was, mm-hmm. hey, this, I saw the paycheck. I know what these guys make. And it was going to be a significant increase for me. 
And so I took it and, and it created this kind of odd dynamic because the people who were my supervisors the year before, I was now supervising them. And that you can imagine how that, <laughs> what, <laughs> what happens in that situation. Like but a lead balloon. Yeah, exactly. So I, so I, I was in that position for a couple of years and went well. And then I was approached um, by another facility, uh, probably about an hour away, to come and, and head up their psychology uh, program. And it was also con- still in the state system. And, um, you know, I, I asked a few questions about it, but all I really need to, needed to know... Is it more money? Is it more money? And it was significantly more money again. And so in this position, and this was, this was key to, to, I think, to my whole story, is that this, in this position, um, I would be serving as um, the chief psychologist in the New York State Office of Mental Health System, overseeing all the psychology services within the New York State prison system. Wow. So, Ooh, I bet you I, could tell I, some stories. Uh, absolutely. And so I took this position, 28 years old, okay? And I'm not saying that with any kind of... Uh, you know, I don't want that to come across as like I was some kind of star or anything, but it was all about, I was ambitious, but I was ambitious for the wrong reasons. And so I didn't even stop to consider, you know, is this something that I really want to do? Am I even equipped to do this? It was just, I saw the dollar signs and yeah, I'll take it. And so I started in this position and and in this position, it, it became pretty clear within a couple of weeks that I had probably made a mistake. <laughs> it was um, there over were, your head. Oh well, you know, and it was just the setting, as you can imagine. You, you know, you're going into your first of all, you're working in a maximum security facility, mm-hmm. and um, it, I don't know if you ever get used to the doors clanging behind you and going through the metal detectors and all of that. But I spent a significant amount of time in places like like Attica and Sing Sing, and, wow. and working with inmates on how to stay safe and anger management and all of that while also supervising the psychology services in those places. So it was quite eye-opening to me, um, you know, to be in a facility like that and having never, well, I think maybe I had a traffic ticket once, uh, but having never had any kind of problems myself or even really having grown up knowing anybody who had gone to prison or anything like mm-hmm. that, it was all very eye-opening to me. Um, so, but I knew uh, I did not want to make my life in state work, and so I worked there for a few years. Went on to work in a in a uh, large group practice in some other settings. Again, motivated by money. And um, skipping ahead, skipping ahead a few years, I had the opportunity, or I saw the opportunity at one point to uh, to go off and start my own my own company. And and in this company. Um, uh, it was a consulting business, and what it what it was was uh, going into um, area skilled nursing facilities, like nursing homes and places mm-hmm. like that, and going in and providing um, uh, you know bedside counseling, basically, because those type of facilities don't typically have uh, psychologists and counselors on staff. Right. Um, the, the staff is so busy with admissions and discharges, they don't really even have the time to deal with whatever the emotional you know outcome is for people who are who are in a situation like that. And so, I, I, I started off doing that, and um, I started off with probably three or four facilities under contract, um, and then within about within about two two years um, that had grown to about 15 facilities wow. and within three years it had grown to 21 facilities and 
this was still, you know, only me doing this. <laughs> and um, a driving factor for me, and one of the reasons that I was continuing to um, to push uh, to to make more and have more, um, is is I'll never forget a, a, a conversation earlier in my career where, you know, my wife, as I said before, she also had her doctoral degree in psychology. And we, I, I had thought I was marrying someone who uh, was a career woman. And um, when she, shortly after she had our first child, we were sitting on our front porch and she said, you know, I think I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And that just kind of changed everything. On one hand, I knew this is probably what was best for our son and probably what was best for her. On the other hand, I was doing a million different calculations in my head mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, how this was possible and kind of went into a panic. But what that did was really just turbocharge that motivation that was already there to make money. Mm -hmm. And so any time that I took a promotion or any time I did something that was going to result in more money, I could always point to, well, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my wife so that she can do this. You had a built-in excuse there, I had buddy. a built-in oh, excuse. Yeah. It was, yes. And so, um, anyway, back to the back to this company that I started and it had just exploded. So here I am at that point in my life, having, having started this company, it exploded within two years. Um, I would say even within a year of starting that company, um, my, my income tripled. And then in, in within two years, my income went up probably by five times. Wow. And it was, so, so you think about where I'm at at that point, here I have a heart for the material material things in life, I should say. And having gone through a long time ago, this spiritual graduation where I don't really think, you know, I need the word so much anymore because I got it all. I know what it <laughs> says. So I'm not going to the Lord. I'm not even looking in his direction. Boy, did Satan take you down. Oh, yeah, my looking goodness. back on that, you can realize just how what a dangerous place you really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so I, I, um, so I was kind of, I, I set myself up, I had to take ownership of it, I set myself up for, for a huge fall. And even as this was occurring, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I was making more, you would think, well, at that point, once you're making so much, you know, what to, to me at the time felt like so much money, that you were pretty much setting yourself up for life, that you weren't going to have to worry about finances and all of that. Well, as soon as I started making all of that money, we, of course, sold our fairly modest home and, and turned in our fairly modest cars for the fanciest house in town that we could find mm -hmm. and luxury cars and started doing renovations that probably didn't really even need to be done and all of these other things. It was very conspicuous because I felt like, well, I, I, you know, obviously my, my lifestyle and my possessions and everything needs to somehow reflect all of this, <laughs> uh -huh. all of this. Well, you deserve that. You well, know, of you course, hard, right. You deserve that. Yes. And so, uh, and so I was always a horrible money manager. And so none of this was really just paid for in cash. Everything was just financed, right? Everything was just, uh, uh, you know, and I could get credit very easily. It's like, it was no, no problem. 
And so with all of these, um, with all of these possessions and all of these things increasing, obviously the bills are going up at the same time. And so even after a few years and making so much more, I found my, I found, found myself in a financial situation where I wasn't really even doing any better than I was when I was making a lot less. My, it was just, I had more, but I was also spending more. I wasn't gaining anything. Uh, but that did not stop the desire or deter me at all. Cause I always felt like I could just make more if I needed to. I mean, it was coming in that easily. Well, where this, where this story took a, took a real left turn is, um, I knew, um, with all of those bills, um, I kind of had this idea in my head about, I had it broken down with kind of how much I needed to make each day. Um, <laughs> see, because with the way these things worked in these facilities, when you would go in, the facilities never paid me a dime. And so that's how I could grow my business so much, so easily. And um, how I got paid was through insurance, through insurance and, and building insurance. And so they were, so the facilities loved it because they were getting a service for this residents that they could advertise and promote. And it wasn't costing them anything. And I was coming in and they liked me and it wasn't really costing even the residents anything because it was all going through their insurance. And so... Um, uh, as I felt like I needed to make so much each day or so much each week, there would be times where I couldn't get to everybody I needed to. Um, they were too busy or they were involved in other things. And I can't even, I can't tell you exactly when it started, but, um, I eventually um, started to engage in insurance fraud in order to continue the income and continue the income increasing. And it started off just like everything else does, a very little bit at first. So you, you, you put a little bit in there and see if anybody notices, see if there's a response. Well, there will shockingly, Nobody really noticed. Nobody noticed for five years. Wow. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, to the point that um, it became it, it, it became not an insignificant source of, of how I was hoping to, to promote myself because there didn't seem to be any system of checks and balances. Nobody was watching. Well, what I didn't think about at that time was God was watching. Uh-huh. <laughs> and always. And always. And not like he was not like he was ready to to bring down the big hammer. But but even though I wasn't going to him, I could I could now when I look back, I can I can see where he was trying to come to me. Because while all this was going on, and I'll tell you, there was about a three-year period in there where I didn't even say one prayer. Because I, I knew that, I, how could I go to God with anything when I didn't have any intention of changing what I was doing? Mm-hmm. And, and so I was having semi-regular dreams of incarceration. I was, um, I was wondering about, um, and became very hyper vigilant about, um, you know, wondering if there's cars parked down the street. Mm-hmm. I became very aware of 
anyone who could or any methodology that could pinpoint my location at any given time. So I, I didn't want there to be any way to track me at all because that could, you know, the gig could be up at mm-hmm. that point. So I was, I, my life became about covering my tracks, right? All the while, I think, man, look what I'm doing for my family. Look what, look at all this stuff, right? This is great. I'm finally living this dream. I'm the man. I'm, I'm the, the man. I finally yeah. got the house on the river now, right? That's right. So, um, you know, what, what, one of the things that, that I didn't, so many things I didn't think about at the time because I was, I had this such singular focus and, um, didn't realize, you know, what impact this was having on my marriage. And, you know, my wife would come to me on occasion and say she felt like something was missing between us. Something was just just not right. But I felt I seemed distant and just not, you know, what she, I think the term she used was emotionally available. That's a great counselor word, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, emotionally available. And I had no idea what I, what, 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 um, what she was talking about at that time, even though I should, because I, I know these things, but, um, you know, from my perspective, I didn't understand how she could be unhappy because I was giving her everything, everything. that she said she wanted and then some, and including the ability to stay home and, and do those things that mm-hmm. she wanted. But she was not. She was not happy. Not, not that we were. Not that we were like on the rocks or fighting all the time. But it just there was some. There was something missing. And what I discovered through this time is when, you know, when you're when you're keep, when you're spending your whole life trying to cover your tracks and keep secrets, it affects everything. It becomes pervasive in your life, right? And and I've learned not not just through my own experience or through the counseling that I've done for so long, is that secrets are the single most corrosive thing to any relationship. And because when you have, when to do what I was doing, I had to shut myself down, you know, morally and spiritually and in every single way. And you can't compartmentalize that. No. You can't, you can't, you can't shut yourself down to do something that you know is wrong while at the same time being open and growing your relationship with your wife. That's just not how we work as human beings. And so if you're going to shut yourself down in one area, you're going to shut yourself down in a lot of areas mm-hmm. and make yourself unavailable to those who probably probably need you the most. And that's exactly what I was doing again without even realizing it because that was not my focus. And even once you brought it up, I didn't get it until much later. So what ended up happening um, over time as we fast forward um, is we ended up moving a couple more times because we were always looking, not we, my wife had nothing to do with it. Um, she was just along for the ride, but I was always looking to upgrade, you know. And one day, um, and this is the this is the two by four. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> one day, I had uh, an administrator at one of the facilities um, that I visited. He called me up on the phone. I remember I was driving in my car, and he called me up on the phone and. And he said, uh, he said, Joel, do you have a second? I said, sure. What's going on? He said, uh, he said, are you being investigated for Medicaid fraud? And I immediately, I just felt that the blood drained from my face. Um, sure. And I, I said, well, not that I'm aware of, no. Um, and he said, well, we had some investigators show up at one at our facility this morning and they were they were pulling files and and wanting to do you know asking for all these names and everything and then 
um, they left our facility after they got all of this and then went across town to our other facility and pulled more files. And so we've tried to cross check names and figure out because they never, you know, they never disclose why they were in your facility pulling files. They don't do that until, you know, to protect people's identity and everything. And he said the only thing that we could come up with, the only commonality are that these are all people that you have seen. And I said, well, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. And so we got off the phone and uh, I just remembered I pulled into some grocery store parking lot and I sat there for probably three hours and I just stared at my steering wheel because I knew that I was in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Right, they they were on my they were on my tail, and so I remember going home that night, and I kind of shared with my wife that you know the conversation that I had, and that you know that I was being looked into for this, but denied any wrongdoing to her, and said you know I you know this was you know they're going to look into it they're not going to find anything and, and you know our lives are going to go on and and she believed me she had no reason not to right. she had no reason not to trust me I'd never given her any reason mm-hmm. not to and so um and then um about a year and a half later wow. took about that long about a year and a half later um i got a call excuse me Six months later, I'm getting my time frame mixed up. Not that it's super important, but about six months later, I get a call from an investigator themselves and saying, uh, you know, can you, we, 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 you know, we would kind of like to come talk to you. I'm sure, you know, we've been pulling some files and everything and we just want to come out to your house and, and just talk to you. Can I come out tomorrow? And I said, yeah, that's fine. My wife had gone out of town for something. And so the next morning um, at the time that we had agreed to, um, I looked out the window and investigator um, was uh, coming up my driveway with two other people. So there are three people there. Mm-hmm. And so we came in and, and they were very friendly and then we sat at my uh, kitchen table and they just were asking questions about, you know, what is it that, what you do? And, you know, um, just asking a lot of questions about everything. And um, I tried to answer the questions, but uh, but also was very careful, obviously, with how I answered questions. And, and uh, they thanked me for my time and said that they would be in touch. Well, um, it was over a year later before I heard from them again. Wow. And, and this is how, this is how insidious all of this was, is that even though I knew that they were on to me, even though I knew that they were coming, I didn't stop. Oh, I continued. Oh, wow. I continued, even though I knew that they were on to me. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about ego. You want to talk about thinking that you're smarter me. than anybody yeah. else in the room, right? And so it was continuing. And um, about a year later, a little over a year later, um, I got a call from that same investigator. He said, Joel, I just want to let you know. He said, we, you know, we finished up our investigation and I would like for you to come in and uh, have, I think, I think the word he used, I, I want you to come in so we can do an exit interview and uh, and just kind of wrap this up and, you know, do get just a couple things I'm going to go over with you, but, but then we're going to be finished. And so uh, I had contacted my, my attorney friend um, who had known some of this was going on. But at that point, I hadn't even, if you can imagine this, even knowing all this was going on, I had never even secured an attorney. 
because I was just so convinced that they were not, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but, but he said, yeah, go in. He said, if anything, you know, weird happens, if you feel uncomfortable at all, then just leave, you know, if, if there's anything that happens, but he said, you know, the meeting should be fine. So I went in, I mean, I thought the whole exit interview thing, I never heard of that as part of an investigation. I thought it was weird, but uh, I went in anyway. And so when I went in to, to, to see him at, the, at his office, he took me down to the conference room and and it was him sitting there and two of the other two other people. And one of them I recognized from from as one of the people who had came to my house the year before. Mm-hmm. And there were all these files on the table, right? I just saw them sit in front of me. So we sat we sat down and we were just kind of shooting the breeze, you know, for a little bit. And um, and pretty quickly that conversation turned. Oh yeah. You know, and, and so he was asking a lot of questions about you know, when, when do you leave each morning and when do you get back and, you know, how long do you spend with each person and things like, things like that. And so after about five of those kind of questions, I looked at him and I said, um, this isn't an exit interview, is it? And he said, no, it's not. And he reached over and, and grabbed one of the files that was sitting on the table and opened it and kind of laid it out in front of me. And I, I looked down and, and when I saw what was in the file, I knew my life was going to be changed forever. Because in the file, um, there were photos of me coming in and out of facilities. Um, there were pictures of my car uh, driving down the road. There were just a lot of things. And he said, we, you know, all of these files here, we have stacks of them identical to this. Um, he, he said that, um, you know, over, over the summer that, um, this became a joint investigation involving state police and and other people. You've been followed for weeks and, um, they had video of me at my son's baseball games. And I mean, it was like, you know, I felt like Al Capone or something at that moment, but (laughs) it was, uh, you know, you can imagine the thoughts that were going through my mind. But one, it was something very strange happened in that moment, though. And ninety percent of me was just terrified, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there was somewhere inside of me that unexplainable at that time. I felt this sense of relief because I knew that it was over. I knew that. I could not go in, you know, I knew that I couldn't continue doing that anymore. I wouldn't have the opportunity to do that anymore. And it was, it's one of those situations in in life where not in that moment, but in the days to follow where I really was able to start putting that all into some kind of context where I felt like God reached into my life and pulled me out of a situation that I didn't have the courage to pull myself out of. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he was telling me, you know, Joel, this is not what I created you for. I got bigger plans for you than this. And so he then intervened in my life at a very necessary time because I think even now with everything that I know that happened, if I went back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when this was going on, and, and it was able to speak to that person and say, look, this is what's going to happen. You got to stop this. This is nonsense. I was so caught up in that time in a combination of denial and debt that I don't think it would have mattered. 
I was so single-mindedly focused. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, and I don't use this term lightly, but it was almost like an addiction of, of accumulation. I had this whole whole spirit of accumulation, and that's kind of that's kind of what grew. Well, I'm sure that the devil put blinders on you too. Yeah. I mean, just gives you tunnel vision. Right. That's why the Lord says you can't serve two masters. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, and my yeah. master at that time, that ma- my master at that time was was my bank account, and and, and and being able to to pull into my driveway and see this or that or whatever else. And so that that to me is what gave me worth and value. Been right there, Joel. I'm telling you what. Um, yeah. And so the the wheels of justice take a long time to turn. And I was surprised how long you took when you told your story. How long it took, even after that point. Oh, it was before before I even made a court appearance. It was another two years, and um, you know, but 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 before I, before I go down go down even to that to that court appearance, just to show again how ingrained this was in me. Okay, it was clear I was going down, mm-hmm. and. Even even at that point, after having that meeting in the conference room where I saw what I what what was going on, I went home that night. I told my wife what happened. Continued to maintain I did nothing wrong. Mm. Continued to maintain that lie, and finally acquired an attorney. He went and had a meeting with the prosecutor and came back. He gave me a phone call and said, look, Joel, he said, you're looking at very serious charges. And based upon what they have, I don't see any way you're going to get out of this. Hmm. And and I, I went I, after that conversation, which was probably about a week or two after that, that, conf, that, that meeting in the conference room. I um, I went home and, and finally decided, look, I cannot keep this from her any longer. But um, I, w- I was probably never more scared in my life because I figured, as, you know, as soon as I told her, as soon as she found this out, we were done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how could she possibly trust me after that time? You know, what kind of, you know, she would have all these questions about who she married and, and all of that type of thing. And so I remember sitting there again in my kitchen and uh and she could tell i was pretty upset uh, this is after the kids had gone to bed and, and and she came in and said you know what's wrong what's going on and and i told her and i just opened up and told her about everything that i had done and the first words out of her mouth were um i don't think i can be with you and i just said yep there it is you know, that's this is the beginning of the end of my life. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly, I saw my my career, you know, gone. I saw my family uh, at the beginning of, of falling apart. And um, it was it was in the weeks to follow after that, um, that I began to see God intervening in my life. You know, when she told me that, when she told me that, I don't know if I can be with you. Um, there were some other words that were also said, and um, I decided I was going to give her some time. And so I went and I got in my car that was had been so important to me, mm-hmm. and I just ta- I just took off into the night. And w- w- what struck me is that I didn't know where I was going. 
I had nowhere to go. I had nobody to go to because in my singular focus, I had, I had not in all of those years made anywhere near any kind of investment in relationships, relationships. or cultivating. Yeah. I had nowhere to go in this biggest time of crisis in my life. And it, that was incredibly eye-opening to me. Right, um, you talk about being hit in the head with a two by four. I think I, I was in the, with I was hit with a two by four several several times, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that was one of them as well. And so over the over time of doing this, there were there were things that were kind of that were really eye opening to me that I learned about myself through this crisis period. And so a few weeks after I initially had talked to my wife about this, I came back home and and her her whole tone had changed and she came to me one one day because in, in the in the time the couple of weeks that I was gone she was started to take uh, job interviews in other states and all of this and I was just everything's kind of headed down in the gutter here mm-hmm. she came to me and said you know what I don't think I want to do that I don't think I want us to be over and there was no reason for that. There was no rhyme or reason. It wasn't anything because I had anything I had done. It wasn't anything anybody had told her. But she had this inexplicable heart change for, for no apparent reason. And we started to pray together about our marriage. We started to pray together about our future. Um, we prayed about the conversation that I was going to have to have with my three children about what I had done and about what was to come. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, keep in mind that that I was the same person who had taught some of their Sunday school classes and all this while all this was still going on. And how in the world are they going to see me? You know, what's, what's dad represent to them now? And, you know, I thought the conversation with my wife was difficult. It didn't compare to mm. talking about, telling, talking to my kids. And so... So this sounds like at this point, you know, this horrible, you know, awful story. And, and it is in a lot of ways. It's tragic in a lot of ways. Um, but it led to some it, it, it led to some incredible life changes that I am inc- that I'm so thankful for, because if that was the end of the story, I wouldn't be here tonight. I can promise you that. Right. Um, I would have no, I would have nothing to talk about. Um, so. So. You know, the, the attorneys for a long time were telling me, Joel, you know, you're looking at five years. You're, you're, you're going to go away for a long time. This is serious stuff. And so long story short on that, um, I ended up uh, with um, 60 days. What? Yeah. Right? That's what he said. 60, 60 days? days. Wow. 60 days. Insurance fraud. Yes. And 60 days in, and which then... Uh, because of how I was when I was there, I got reduced to 40. So I did not deserve that. I deserved a whole lot more than that. 40 days. 40 days. And how long was Jesus in the desert? Yeah. There's a lot of 40 days in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I remember, and this was my rock bottom moment, is, is uh, going, going, actually, you know, going to jail in that first night. And because I had never been in trouble in my life and all of this other stuff, I guess their policy was, you know, they, they wanted to segregate me because they felt, they, I think they were concerned about how I was going to respond to a setting like that emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so in their way of segregating me, they, I spent the first three days in solitary confinement because that was their way of segregating. Huh. And so as I was sitting there, 
the only thing I could think about was, you know, I used to go into places like this. I used to tell people how to have, you know, how to, how to, with anger management and everything else. And you should tell people how to live in these settings. And man, here I am mm-hmm. sitting here in my own. <laughs> now you can really whatever. tell them how to live oh, in my, those settings. Well, and experience. It, right. And, and it, it was like a prodigal son moment. You know, I mean, you're just, wow. you're just you're just sitting there and nowhere to go, and kind of sitting in your own filth, and realizing that I have taken all of these gifts that God has given me and really squandered them mm-hmm. uh, because I was so busy pursuing my own agenda and the, and the things that I wanted, and never really uh, bothered to think about what God wanted from me. And we never really think about the the people that are affected, the people that we just drag along the way. Mm-hmm. No. Not at all. You know, I never, I never thought about my children. I was in a, a similar situation as you. You know, where money was really no object. Now, it didn't involve insurance fraud, but, but you know, it was real estate ventures and things like that. And I totally understand where you were mm-hmm. and how you got there. Yeah. And there was a blatant disregard for who you took along the way. But we justify that by thinking, well, you know, we're, they should be happy. Provide a good life for them. You know, they want for nothing. You know, you, it's so easy. Satan makes it so easy for us to justify that. Spinning those lies. Oh, you aren't kidding. Just oh. putting the blinders on. Oh, a lot. Yeah. And and he, he, he knows exactly where, where, where to encourage us as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I came out of that, that situation and um, knew I was going to have to be making some changes in my life. But um, my wife and I, um, my wife decided that we were going to make a go of this. And she saw a lot of changes take place in me because I was, I was making some real spiritual changes in my life. For the first time, I think, uh, intentionally, we, we started to put God as ahead of our marriage. You know, I didn't, I didn't have access to or the ability to even make the kind of money that I was making before. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford the things that, that I had before. And um, as a matter of fact, lost most of the things that were very important to me. Uh, and, and, and as each of these things were taken away, what was so ironic to me was that I just felt a sense of peace about the whole thing. And, and oh, I was almost glad to see them go because at that point in my life, what they came to represent to me. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, you know, where, where I'm at, um, well... One one of the one of the, the most important things that happened to me as a result of all of this, you know, I was I was baptized when I was fourteen and all of that, but um, a couple of years after after all of this had happened and I had come out of jail and all of that, um, my daughters both came to to me and my wife and, and expressed an interest in being baptized. <coughs> And um, the church that we were in at the time, um, you know, when you wanted to be baptized, you, you met with a pastor and they kind of go over the thing with you and, and make sure you understand. And so I took them um, to that meeting and I sat there and I listened to the pastor talk about, you know, what baptism meant and, and listened to them and, and saw that they understood. And, and I, I remember when we were finished, I went up to him and I said, you know what? I said, I, I know I've done this. I did this a long time ago in my life, but I want to do it again. Um, it just, it, 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 it really, because re- I want, I want, I want something that really represents the heart change that I have felt. And so um, 
one of the greatest experiences of my life was um, was was being able to be baptized in the lake with both of my daughters at the same time. Oh, how cool is that? And it 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 was just kind of this. Uh, I can't even explain it. It was such it was such this kind of cleansing experience, mm-hmm. and um, and so. Um, we we ended up, um, you know, we're still in New York at that time, and just a few years ago, um, we we had the opportunity to come back to Florida, obviously because I'm here now, but um, but just to, to let you know, you know, even further how the devil works, uh, because you would think, well, happy ending, roll credits, right? That's it, your life is 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 fine now, your family was saved, and, and your your heart was changed, and so things should be great. Well, in a, in a lot of ways, they, they have been. Yeah, so long right. as you keep him number one. So long as I keep him number one. That's the major lesson on this. But but but, but one of the, the positions that I actually came to Florida for, one of the things that brought us down here, was there was a, um, I'll, I'll, use, I'll put it in quotes, there was a, a, a Christian counseling center, okay, that um, located in Florida. I'm not going to give any other identifying information, but uh, they brought me on. Um, to kind of take over as director of that counseling center. Um, they were well aware of my history and everything else and were very comfortable with that. Um, the The current director was, was stepping down and was kind of going to take a different role in the agency and all of that. So came down and uh, very excited about this opportunity. And um, it, it um, eventually, after being there for probably... A couple of months, um, the director had come to me and um, basically um, was in, was encouraging me um, to engage in insurance fraud. And I, yep, that's I'm getting a lot of looks here. I know you wow. can't see them. God test, God test, and um, he he kind of even had a plan in place on how to do it. And I said, you know, you understand what you what you're asking uh, of me to do is you know, pretty much illegal in all 50 states. This is, you know, there's no mystery to this. And you know, well, you know, and he had some ways to kind of. And and I and, and I, the, the thought crossed my mind that, you know, you you brought me here because you think I'm some kind of expert in this, and you think <laughs> you're like I know how to do this, and you you brought me here because you think my moral compass is skewed, and 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 he said, and and and, and so. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, there's absolutely zero way. I said, if that's what you brought me here for, you got the wrong guy. And he said, let me tell you something, Joel. He said, you know, you've really messed up pretty significantly in your life. He said, uh, this is pretty much your last chance. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's like a looking Satan in the in the it really eyes, isn't it? He said, "If you blow this out, he said there won't be any other chances. Oh. Nobody's going to give that." Well, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, he doesn't right. know our God, he doesn't. and that's exactly what I told him. I said, "Look, I said if you think that's the way God operates, then you don't know my God." And he just kind of laughed it off. Well, it didn't take long. I left that place. I bet. And I didn't want any part of it. And um, it. What the reason I tell that story is that. You know, when Satan really has us and he, and he has us by the, you know, 
he has he has our heart basically. Um, he doesn't. He, he knows the weaknesses, and he knows too. the weaknesses. He doesn't want to let go, Mm-mm. and he will continually try to uh, find what I think of as entry points into our lives. And he knows what mine is. I know what the, the good thing is that through all of this, I know what mine is now, and I'm very aware of it. And I was not as aware of it before. Mm-hmm. So I know the temptations. I know the thing. I know my weaknesses, and I know how to to manage that. Um, but what what's so one of the, one of the wonderful things about all this, you know, and the question I get sometimes is that Joel, you know, you had such a heart for all for money and all this material stuff, and and all of that and like aren't you don't you still feel sometimes like drawn to that and I it's an unexplainable thing you know other than you know that God is the explanation but I don't have that anymore Mm -hmm. you know that's right living a life that was all about you know what I what I could buy and the vacations I could take and all of that I don't even care I don't even want any of that anymore Mm -hmm. because I feel like I live a life that has such a greater purpose now and so now you talked about it real life you know now I I serve as the counseling director of real life and and, and I and I get to um, pers- I, I do a lot of the initial meetings for people who are interested um, in, in getting counseling through the church. And I, you know, I would say probably about 40% of the people who come into the church have nothing to do with real life. They're from the community because we open it up to the, right. to the community. And, and many of the people have never, have never been, um, in, you know, introduced to Christ or any of that. And so what I consider it such a great privilege to be able to sit with somebody and, 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 and have them for many of these people open up for maybe the first time in their life mm-hmm. and, and talk about their deepest hurts and their pains and being able to sit being able to sit there with them in a very kind of non-judgmental compassionate way trying to trying to model what I think Christ Christ is in our lives and and I, I think the the reason I'm able to do that is because of what I had gone through. Absolutely. 10 or 15 years ago, I remember sitting across from people thinking, well, you're where you're at because of your bad choices. Mm -hmm. It was a very judgmental thing. Like if you had just made better choices in your life, you probably wouldn't be sitting here, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like you're the product of your, there was no real grace. There was no, it was, it wasn't any of that. And now, you know, for me, it was, you know, with, with, with everything being about image and all of that, you know, when, when something like this happens to you in a very public way, there's no more image to maintain, <laughs> you know, that, that has gotten stripped away. So now you can just be real. You can be who you are. And, and so I'm able to now sit with people, you know, and, and, and talk about Christ and, and even in, in the practice that I have, I have a counseling and, and, and coaching practice. And, and even in, in doing that, I've, I've had people who have actually sought me out because of the experience that I had. I see people who are, you know, engaging in those kind of activities or who are working in places where things like that are happening. Mm-hmm. And they're like, whoa, what do I do here? Or I feel this in my heart. And you've been through this. You know what, what to do. And, and so God has been able to take the things that are that are so um, that otherwise would be so embarrassing and, and, and such, such a burden that Satan's trying to keep me in a, a lot of guilt and shame and use that to encourage other people right. and try to lead them more to him in the way that he wants them to live. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm just so thankful for that. 
I, I really am. And, 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 and because of God's intervention in my life, I have gone from thinking of God as some, something that I believe in to something that I now have a relationship with. Right. And, and to me, my faith took off once I made that transition. It wasn't a textbook. It wasn't just, you know, a, a, a book of knowledge and, and knowing all of these things. But it was, it was this living, breathing Lord and Savior that we all need to be in relationship with. And because I made that transition, my life has been completely different. Not perfect, my, nobody has that, but completely different outlook and a completely different sense of purpose. And I, and I, and I feel called to, to share that. I do not, I do not wanna be um, shameful or, or feel a lot of guilt about all of this, even though I fight that and I know that I do. But at the same time, I know that I can't be the only person who struggles with those types of temptations. And not maybe not criminal or insurance fraud, but just greed, just being pulled away from what God wants you to do in any way. And so I feel like if, if I keep that secret, if I don't talk about it, and I've had many chances to talk about it, then um, it, it really was all for naught. And so well, we're so appreciative that you chose to come and talk about it at God Stories Radio. Well, I appreciate you having me, guys. This has been terrific. Oh, man. We had a question come in um, from a brand new YouTube subscriber. His name is Bruno, and I think he's from Canada. And he uh, listened to five testimonies today on Spotify. So welcome, Bruno. But he had a question, and uh, I thought it was worthy of, uh, worthy of an answer from us. And he was asking if you couldn't be saved more than once. Mm. What say you, Joel? Well, you know, I don't. I don't think it's about. I don't think our salvation is about the things that we do here. I think it's about what Christ has done for us. Amen. And 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 I, you know, I knew that. Um, you know, when I took on Christ um, as a teen, um, I I believe that I was saved because of that, but. I didn't have the right. Um, I didn't have the right mindset about it. I didn't have. The, I didn't, uh, as far as my view of Christ, as far as what that all meant, and um, and it was only through going through these trials that I was able to really experience the the peace that comes from Him. But um, but no, I don't. I don't believe that we have multiple salvations. I believe that once you take on Christ and and, and you proclaim Him and you recognize His position, that that you are saved at that point. I also responded to him and I said, you know, the Father's very graceful. He doesn't love you any less, you know, once you're saved. And we've all fallen since we've been saved. We just need Mm -hmm. to ask for forgiveness and uh, come clean. Correct. His grace is sufficient for me. I would just remind you, Bruno, that, you know, when Jesus died on the cross for us, it wasn't just you know, for the sins that are, that we've done right now was past, present, future sins, all of it, you know, otherwise he'd have to keep dying on the cross over and over again. Right. So he died one time and it covered everything and it was the perfect sacrifice. So it doesn't matter what you've done. If you've fallen, it's never too late to go back to him and ask his forgiveness and, you know, to walk with him again. You've got to start somewhere. Amen. 
And then and to add on to Joel's response to uh, Bruno, uh, John 10, verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Amen. Amen to that. Man, Joel, I just think we could drink coffee and stay up all night. <laughs> I just, uh, I know I realize I've just met you, but man, just um, just feel like family. I just uh, really appreciate you coming. And I want to thank everybody on Mixler that's been uh, in touch with us tonight. I want to apologize for my squeaky chair. <laughs> I didn't realize it was squeaking, and I got a text from my wife about midway through. Oh, really? Is that what you were doing? squeaky chair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm outed. I need to put some oil of gladness on it or something (laughs) like that. But thank you, everybody, and from... Uh, on Mixler that has listened. Thank you for everybody on YouTube tonight. Thank you, Bruno, for your questions and uh, welcome to the channel. Thank you for your subscription and uh, keep listening. Keep listening. And, um, you know, uh, we're doing the um, $10 a month business thing, but you don't have to be a business to to bless no. us. And uh, you, uh, we started a campaign, you know, we don't, we're not begging for money and, and totally against it. But We have been, yes. But, um, you know, we've had several people that have blessed us with a $10 gift. And we always say, if you bless us monthly, we can bless you weekly. So we, you know, we do have some expenses and, and the tax man cometh at the end of the oh, year. Oh, he's going to be about coming. Yeah. 300 plus dollars because uh, uh, we have to file like the big boys. Yes, we do. And given that with a, the uh, 501c3 that we are and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I don't understand all that. I just know it's expensive. So, uh, but uh, we just love you guys and we thank you uh, for praying for us and, and loving us. Drop us a line at God's Stories Radio at Gmail. Like us on Facebook and Mikey, they can also tweet us. Yes, they can on Twitter. And we appreciate that so very much. We want to thank our guest, Joel, for being here tonight. Thank you so much, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. He didn't even hesitate when I asked him. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tina. (laughs) You've been so quiet tonight. She was busy texting you. I got that right. (laughs) She's got to keep me straight. So It's nice to be back. Amen to that. Man. All right. Well, let's see. Um... How many more of these we got before Christmas? There's two more Thursdays, two. and we got them bo- booked. Two more Thursdays before Christmas. We are booked Christmas. solid through the end of the year Praise and the Lord. halfway into January. Yes, we are. I'm sure Joel will come across a few testimonies. Oh, I'm sure he has, too. Maybe, uh, you know. Oh, I, oh, I've had a chance to go through a few of them, yeah. I, 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 and you shared with me earlier the way to access the rest of these, and I'm just, I, I can't wait to go through them now. We appreciate that, and, um, you know. Well, the, he, I think he father, was meaning uh, that you know people you can send our way. Oh, yeah. I say, Oh, no, 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 okay, I got what you're saying. Yeah, I do, actually. And I'll, I'll let people know about you for sure. Well, we appreciate that. We'll load you up with cards. Because blessing you has been our only agenda from the get-go, and uh, we just appreciate each and every one of you. So, all right. That about wraps it up for session 144. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. God bless. God bless. God bless. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep We pray for healing For prosperity 
Peace. 